Hi, you're listening to The Home Hour. This is the show where we talk about family, food, parenting, managing a home, and everything that goes on inside your four walls. I'm your host, Megan Francis, Mama Five, and creator of The Happiest Home Blog. I'm glad you're here. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 58 of The Home Hour. This is a very special episode because I'm here with my sister, Katherine Francis. Hey, Katherine. Hello. So Katherine and I have been talking about doing a show together for a long time because we both like to talk a lot and we don't get to talk as much on the phone. I don't feel like anymore as we used to now. It's all texting and stuff. Yeah, that's true. That so is true. <laughs> we just don't do it in our busy <laughs> lives. So this will be our excuse um, to get together and chat every now and then. And we want to talk about things that we like to talk about when we are having a conversation. And one of those things is literature. Another is TV yep. and books and music and stuff like that. But today we're going to focus on children's literature and specifically food from children's literature. Because I feel like this is something that when I think back to the books I grew up with and really loved, the food always sticks out in my head. And there are certain scenes that I will never forget. And I think Katherine agrees with that. I do agree with that. Yes. And (laughs) every time I've ever posted anything about that on social media or on Facebook or anything, everybody agrees. And and it's funny because people gravitate to a lot of the same scenes. So I thought, first of all, I would, it would be interesting to start off. Why is this such a fascinating thing? And I'm, I've been trying to figure that out. I think, you know, I'm going to use it for example. Um, there's a scene in farmer boy, which by the way, took me forever. Like I read all of the little house series seven or eight times before. Me too. Me too. <laughs> like the whole thing. And once I realized this was about Amonzo, I was not interested. I think it might've even been the last one I bought. Yeah. And I already had it because you passed it down yep. to yep. me. Um, but that was the one, like my sister gave me the set of Little House books, the paper, the yellow or cream colored paperbacks. Yep. yep. And by the time I, you know, they got to me, they were already getting threadbare. And then by the time, or, you know, worn, and by the time I got through them the first few times, they were all dog-eared and the covers were falling off. But but Farmer Boy was immaculate. <laughs> and I mean, even though you'd read it, I'm sure it didn't get as much as much use as all the other ones. But It didn't. But in retrospect, I will just say that it, it, it is one of the best. It is one of the best. I know. I, I don't. I, I'm not going to say it's the best, yeah. but it for me, it's like up there with the long winter. I mean, it's it's definitely. It's yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. And I think that it's because after you've gotten through, I, I think they may have changed the, the order a little bit, mm. but in in the sort of um, traditional order that you got the book, it came third, which right. means you're kind of getting in the role of Laura and you want to hear more. And then suddenly Farmer Boy is stuck in there. And you're like, oh, boys. Yeah, <laughs> it just came, it comes out of nowhere. So right. I, I feel like it just sort of broke up the the uh, routine, the, the, the storyline that you right. were going on. and Yeah. But both of us did eventually, I guess probably because we just ran out of other things to read and we wanted some new content and we were like, you know, 11 or 10 or 11 years old or however old and thought, I guess I'll give it a shot. Yeah. And we both loved it. And so one of the scenes that I think was one of the most memorable scenes from any Little House book is the scene where he's sitting at the table. With the bib tucked out. in. Yes. <laughs> he's got like a fork in his mouth yes. and the knife. Yes. Yes. And I have scene. to say too that the, the, illust- the Garth Williams, is that his name? Mm-hmm. The illustrator, those illustrations really did help bring those books to life for me and are oh, a yeah. big part of what sticks out in my head. So I don't Absolutely. think we can ever underestimate that. But so there's this scene and you, it sounded like you were flipping pages. Do you have it in front of you, Catherine? I do have it in front of me. Yes. Do you have and that scene? Because I would I love do. to have you read about the smorgasbord. 
Okay, so I, I will because and it, it's making me hungry just reading it. So Almanzo felt a little better when he sat down to the good Sunday dinner. Mother sliced the hot rye and engine bread, whatever that is, on the breadboard by her plate. Father's spoon cut deep into the chicken pie. He scooped out big pieces of thick crust and turned up their fluffy yellow undersides on the plate. He poured gravy over them. He dipped up big pieces of tender chicken, dark meat, and white meat sliding from the bones. He added a mound of baked beans and topped it with a quivering slice of fat pork. At the edge of the plate, he piled dark red beet pickles, and he handed the plate to Almanzo. Silently, Almanzo ate it all. Then he ate a piece of pumpkin pie, and he felt very full inside. But he ate a piece of apple pie with cheese. <laughs> I mean, cheese, oh, Pete. That is like an orgy of I was just going to say, Catherine, I think that you could get another a new job um, narrating food porn if there was it such is, a thing. There probably is such a thing. If but not this yet, is... then. So, okay, while you're reading that, now one thing that's sticking out of my head is, besides just the smorgasbord food orgy going on in this scene, there were also some foods that to a kid growing up in the 70s or 80s were kind of gross. Well, gross and unusual. Well, yeah. I didn't eat apple pie with cheese. No. I don't think I've ever had beet pickles. Nope. I haven't. Ryan engine bread. Right. I have don't no even know what, what that, that is. is. I don't. Um, there was something else I just read. Oh, the quivering, quivering <laughs> slice of fat pork. And, no, I, and it took me to a long time to figure out what that even was. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure I do know what it is even right now. But yeah. I... It, 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 I envision something very much like clear, um, gelatinous fat. Yeah. Which, I, I hope that's not what it is. But in any event, it sounds yummy. So yeah. So it's described this way. And it's it's this, this scene of – I think there's something that's so, um, that's so sort of illustrative of the time and mm-hmm. so sensuous. I mean, there's just yes. so much going on here. Yes. And, like, and also of, of plenty – it just, yes. it feels like there's just so much going on in that scene. And man, was it ever one of my favorites? But Laura Ingalls Wilder, as we know, was excellent at writing all kinds of food scenes because yeah. I will also never forget the time, the, um, and I don't remember which book this was in, but Catherine, you can probably clue me in. I want to say maybe Little Town on the Prairie or maybe The Long Winter, um, where all they had was green tomatoes. So Ma baked a green tomato pie as a sounding. Yes, but I was it by the short. I, I don't know which one it was, but I okay. absolutely do. Maybe it was Little Town on the Prairie. Maybe but yes, yes. And well, how, who else but Laura Ingalls could make syrup on snow? Right. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I mean it's a real talent. And you know, Little House in the Big Woods was the obviously like with most kids was the yeah. first Little House book I read, and I think I was. I remember. I definitely remember you giving me those books when I was about five, but I was too little for them then, and I think I yeah. really got into them when I was like seven. Yeah. And to that one in particular, because it was written at such a simple level and it was just really easy for me to get into. And man, yes, syrup yeah. on snow. <laughs> I want to do I that right done. now. Well, I know. And I don't even like this, maple syrup. I, I have all, no, me either. And it probably wasn't even good. It was probably like the, the real stuff, not even like Mrs. Butterworth, where, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's going to be that like super tart but, or not tart, but weird tasting. Yes. And I mean, isn't this funny? Okay. So, Catherine, I have to admit that I don't, I don't like, um, real maple syrup either you must not oh, eat i don't see Which this must it, be a genetic thing it must be because i am a mrs butterworth's all the way in my brokest yes, of too. days i would find a way to find the cash for mrs, for mrs. Butterworth. butterworth i will occasionally go with like a butter flavored um log cabin but i but i hear what you're saying i want the fake 
yes. goopy, super sweet, stuff. super thick. Yeah, um, I don't yes. like the way real maple syrup, like if you were to pour it on snow, I feel like it would just run right through it. Well, absolutely. And in fact, I'm looking right now at the molasses on snow candy recipe that is in this Little House cookbook. Um, and the description says, Ma was busy all day long cooking good things for Christmas. One morning, she boiled molasses and sugar together. Molasses is terrible, I think. <laughs> um, until they made a thick a thick syrup, and Pa brought in two pans of clean white snow, which sounds yummy, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura and Mary each had a pan, and Ma showed them how to pour the dark syrup in little streams onto the snow. Um, and that was the candy that they had to actually... So I guess the, the molasses was a thickening agent. I guess so. Ugh. I mean, that is the syrup, right? Like, I don't even know enough about it, I'm embarrassed to say. Okay. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll get lovely gifts of real maple syrup, and I know that I have to be very grateful for that. Because if people really want that stuff and it's <laughs> yes. very expensive. <laughs> yes, it is very expensive and super time-consuming to make. And I know oh, it is a very important gift when I get that. But I, I don't care for it um, I am the same much. with my um, John's sister. They make, they make it on, you know, at home. They tap trees and make it. And they always bring a big jar. And the good thing is that we have so many kids. The kids will eat it. They like it. But I almost feel like a, like a, a rat when there's – they come over. Oh, yeah. And I've got this jar of their real syrup, and then next to it, I've got Mrs. Butterworth's. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm sure, like, true foodie snobs right now are cringing. It's just the thing. I think we all have those weird preferences, right? That we absolutely can't like explain. Jif. Didn't Jif. I, haven't we discussed Jif before? Oh, yes, Jif. I won't. I will not no. stray. No, I don't either. I don't just stray from Jeff. I don't eat a lot of peanut butter, but when I want some, yeah, that's, that's what I is. want, and that's what it has to be. Now, I will shop, like, when I shop at Aldi, I will get Aldi peanut butter and give it to the kids. <laughs> I'm not above that, but I'll have Jif in my cupboard because for myself, and they usually find it and eat it all anyway. Oh, so. yeah. <gasps> you know what else I remember? Do you remember from, because this I actually have had, I've tried to make, is apples and onions. You know, I was going to bring Farmer that Boy up. Too. Was that? Okay. Yeah. Yes, that was in Farmer Boy. And it was apples in onions. Yeah, like, apples and in, in, in. <laughs> It was folksy. Yes. It was they ate folksy food, but uh, I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, wasn't yeah. there, and this, I, I can't remember, but wasn't there something like Johnny Cakes? Well, Johnny I was actually I just going to bring up Johnny Cakes, but there was another kind of cake. So Johnny Cakes, I think, are like, I want to say they're like grit pancakes or something. Because you made them, weren't they made on a, a skillet? Yes, I think they were. But are you going to mention the crispy sugar cakes? Well, no, I was actually just going to stick with Johnny Cakes for a minute. And then oh. there was something else in my head that I, I can't find, think of the word of it. But let me, okay. let's stick with Johnny Cakes for a second. Okay. So I feel like Johnny Cakes were campfire food. Um, God, I have a little house on the prairie cookbook. Hold somewhere. on, I I can tell you what it is actually. Oh, right, look it up. Okay, I feel like they were like made That's, of cornmeal, and they weren't leavened. So here's what it says: Laura always wondered why bread made of cornmeal was called a Johnny cake. Oh, I'm good. It wasn't cake. Ma didn't know unless Northern soldiers called it Johnny Cake because the people in the South, where they fought, ate so much of it. They called the Southern soldiers Johnny Rebs. Maybe they called the Southern bread cake just for fun. Ma had heard some say it should be called Journey Cake. She didn't know it wouldn't be very good bread to take on a journey. Okay. So which... which Cornmeal. Where was Cornmeal molasses. That was from Little House in the Big Woods. So it's funny that I remember Johnny Cake and then did not remember any of that explanation. But I did remember the fact that it was made of cornmeal. These things stick in your head. I mean, I think that children's authors um, just need to give like, need to know how formative (laughs) 
absolutely. The stuff and that they write yes, it. and how it sticks in your head. Yeah. How this stuff sticks in your head. Um, the giant, the other thing that I remember in here, and I, I don't know that I'll be able to find it, but is where they she sliced it and then fried it. Yeah. That real mush is actually what it was. Breakfast, and I just found it. Breakfast from Little House on the Prairie. Breakfast was ready. When Pa came back from the creek, they all sat by the fire and ate fried mush and prairie chicken hash. Huh. And that's that's what it is. <laughs> wow. So I, I don't know. I'll tell you. You really can't beat the Little House series for your varieties of uh, food pornography. Food pornography. It is the best. Yes, um, it is. Now I will, and I just remembered that I have this Little House on the Prairie cookbook, and I don't know where it is. I feel like it. I don't know. I feel like I had it in my kitchen for a while. Um, but definitely check that out because that explains a lot of the dishes that that are so beloved, yeah. and then gives recipes obviously for quite a few of them as well. And Hopefully that's somewhat authentic. Did you did read the Laura Ingalls uh, Wild uh, autobiography? Did you the not? one that just that just came out? out? Yeah, yep, I sure did, and loved it. Pioneer Girl, Pioneer Girl. Any talk yep. of food in it? Uh, yes, and not yes. There is because the books are. It's really neat the way it's outlined. The um, original manuscripts are sort of all outlined, and then it's annotated. So, like the the Pioneer Girl original version is is written out for you and then it's all annotated it shows you where it you know picks up in the book and the books as we know them so yes there are comments made there's so much detail in that book though that it, i i couldn't read it for the food i mean there was just there's just it's fabulous it's, all right I will there's a lot going on so, so we'll link to that in the show notes and also i want to let people know about another resource where i know there's lots of food talk um beyond little house which is a friend of ours uh, sandra hume's website and i think it's just beyondlittlehouse.com Mm-hmm. I think is that you're right. what it is. Okay, right. um, it's a site with tons of stuff on it, and they have every year they have like a Laura Palooza. All fest. things Little House. It's amazing. And Megan, when are we ever going to take that trip? I know we need to do that. I mean, we've, we've been, been talking, talking about, about it for ten years or something. This is ridiculous. well, ever since. Remember when we went to like Pepin? Yes. Yeah. On the way home from Minneapolis that one time, and yeah, was, I know that was that was amazing. Did was they like eat a little... anything at Lake Pepin? I only remember is the rest. Uh, they had a picnic, didn't they? Yeah, I think they did have a picnic, and didn't they get some like flat candies, some sugar candies or something. They were ribbon, ribbon candies. Yes. That's what it was. That was something else that they, and, and Laura licked hers flat and pointed or something. Well, sounds like, like something she like would that. do because then Mary well, abs- probably, Mary, Mary licked hers, hers evenly on all sides, yes. I'm sure. Yes. yes. I think, and then saved it for <laughs> her sister, Carrie, remember? And oh. I think she was going to share and it was all this Ugh, big sibling drama. The worst. Now, let me say this. Candy um, in the Little House books definitely... Okay, we can't move off of the little house yet. I was I was gonna move on, but we can't. Yeah. We have to okay. talk about whorehound yep, candy, which Horror I still don't know what that candy. is. Wait, let me see if this book shows. I feel that. like no, they got that in Little House on the Prairie. On the Prairie, isn't that what Ed, um, Edward, yeah. Mr. Mr. Edwards. Edwards? Sorry, Mr. Edwards brought. I think so, but you know, Christmas? it doesn't say here. It's not listed in my book, so it's obviously not something that we're going to be able to. Well, we can we neither we can either confirm nor deny <laughs> when it happened, but I I will say for sure there was whorehound candy on more probably more than one occasion. Um, another thing that sticks out in my mind two more two more things. One was Pa bringing I think a can of oysters, which sounded yes. disgusting to me yes. as a child. Um. I just can't imagine that that could have been any good, but obviously that was a, a really sought out, you know, that was a luxury item. Yeah. Yep. You know what? I just found, I, okay, this is going to be the last Laura Ingalls thing. This was the sugary cake that I was trying to describe oh. to you and they called it vanity cake. Yes. Because the inside 
was just puffed yes, up. Yes. Right? Yes. And just like from, vanity. Yes. I'll just like being vanity. And this is from On the Banks of Plum Creek. Nellie Olson's and, birthday party. What's that? Was it Nellie Olson's birthday party or was it their birthday it, party? Mom made it. Mom made it. That's right. Because yes. Nellie Olson had real yes. Um, yes. store bought cake, possibly, at least made with real white sugar. That's exactly right. Ma, though, made vanity cakes. She made them with beaten eggs and white flour. She dropped them into a kettle of sizzling fat. Each one came up bobbing and floated until it turned itself over, lifting up its honey-brown, puffy bottom. Then it swelled underneath till it was round, and Ma lifted it out with a fork. Those cakes were what they ate at the party. All right, we need to move on, but I, I feel like we could do a whole episode just about Little House in the Prairie food porn, but I, it would get a little long for people who aren't I think you're probably <laughs> right. And I just want to throw in right now, Megan, because I don't know how, uh, I don't know that you got into this book the way I did, but, and this is just a kind of a lowbrow food, makes a very big, did you ever read The Harry the Spy? I did. Yes, I Remember was totally tomatoes, into Harry the Spy. Tomato, tomato sandwiches, sandwiches, absolutely. Um, with Harriet the Spy, I have to say every time that's like a universal one. Every time I bring up food in kids books, somebody talks about Harriet the Spy and the tomato sandwiches. I didn't love tomatoes. In fact, I hated tomatoes growing up and I still wanted to eat. Yes, a tomato that's sandwich. me too. Yes, that is me too. I did not like I didn't eat a tomato willingly till I was 35 years old. I don't think, well, 30 years old, but even as a kid to these tomato sandwiches. And I think the cook asks like, do you want pastrami? I mean, can you eat anything yes. else? And she insists on just tomato. And by God, that's what I wanted even when I was a, was a kid. Um, and then she'd have chocolate cake too. Well, and, was, and I, and I'll never forget that she had a little song that she would sing and it would go yeah, like, time for my cake, my milk and cake time for my cake and milk. <laughs> yes. I will never forget that. And I, I mean, I probably read that book three dozen times, so it's not surprising that that stuck out in my head, but yeah. Yes. I remember I remember how glamorous that book felt. She lived in New York City and oh. did all of her spying yes. in apartment buildings. And I, I couldn't, you know, even imagine what – I don't think I even ever went into an apartment building when nope. I was that age. And I will say, not food-related, but another sort of – when I look at it now, when I read them now – is, are the Henry and Ribsy books yes. and Ramona and Beezus because mm-hmm. those also took place in like high rise apartments, I think. Did they? They the, were in a city. Really? Yeah. Henry and Beezus did? Maybe, maybe it was Ramona and Beezus, but yeah, they lived in an apartment. Oh, I don't remember that. I thought that they always lived on Clickatech Street. Um, but it, yeah. Know. Well, yeah. I remember from the later Ramona books, I think they lived more in like a subdivision. Or oh, development oh, oh. of some sort. It was more of a, you know, yeah, typical might... sort of 50s, 60s development. But but also, I remember, you know, speaking of Ramona, and I wasn't even thinking about that, but there was a scene in Ramona. Um, did you, I don't remember, was that sort of, did that come out when you were a kid still? No, or was that they were before younger? me even. Were Those were already you? old when wow, I was a kid. okay. Um, <laughs> wow that old no but I just no, yeah, I always, they were, the thing about those books is they were so timeless that I thought they came out when I was a kid well so, and they and they may have still been you know there's a lot of yeah, them they were re-releasing them and stuff yeah but, but the first ones were older than me well, so do probably. you remember Ramona and her father where her father loses his job and they are very broke and they have to eat tongue um, oh, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's that's one that sticks out in my head. I don't remember there being a lot of food talk from the other ones, but there was definitely one where they have to eat tongue, and it's a it's a big deal in the house, and that one stuck out in my head for sure. Well, it's very weird, and I don't think tongue anymore is all that cheap. I think it's sort of a, you know, yeah. did I tell you that Eric made tongue? No, so- was it good? Okay, so Eric is Catherine's um, boyfriend slash. <laughs> we'd like to call him her love partner because we just because think it's he- ridiculous for a grown woman to have 
a boyfriend, but okay. Yeah, anyway. Yes. So anyhow, um, he, we, you know, we had that cow, we got that quarter of a cow and Eric chose all the organ meats among other things. So we because ended those up. Those are in demand in, now all of a sudden. They're in who demand, knew? but who can cook it? Not me. I'm allowed. I can barely cook a burger. So anyway, we have this tongue. So we get through, we fill a whole chest freezer with this and. Not with tongue. Not with tongue, but okay. with all the parts, lots okay. of hamburger, lots of steaks. I mean, it was right. a great thing to do, but we did, you know, as our, you know, supply of regular meat is shrinking, the liver and tongue and part and all the rest of it is proportionately <laughs> bigger and looming ever larger in my mind every time I open it. And I literally have a, I'm going to say 12 inches of, you know, tongue wrapped up the... Oh, this is, this is funny. So, okay. So it's got all the uh, taste buds on it and everything. It's super weird. By the time we get done cutting off all, everything that looked weird. So whether that be <laughs> the leathery outside, cause you just boil it. So we, he yeah. found a recipe with all these yummy spices and herbs and stuff. And you just boil it for a really long time. And then the creepy, um, outside of the tongue comes off, which I swear you could make a purse out of. It was so thick and it came off in like one big weird chunk. And one side was very smooth. The other side was rough with the taste buds and stuff, but it, it was horrifying and yet awesome at the same time. So by the time we got done cutting off all the weird pieces, you know, we had about four inches of tongue, which we sliced very thin and it was fantastic. So, but what we did with all the weird stuff and it, presumably it's all edible, but we just didn't know. And we put it all in this big plastic bag to give to the dogs that live next door. And so like a week later, we bring over this bag of guts that's what it looks like. It's cooked. It's slimy kind of. It's, you know, because the meat is so tender and it had all yeah. fallen apart. This leathery weirdness was in there. So we give it to the lady next door who I have always believed was a vegetarian. So I thought, oh, this would be a great treat for her dogs. Bring it over. They say thank you. They take it. Like three days later, she comes running up to Eric saying, oh, my God, I just got to tell you that tongue. It was delicious. Turned out she took all these pieces, dumped them into her pressure cooker, which she swears by, which I've never used, but she swears by, pressure cooked it and ate all the stuff that we thought was... Dog food. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally, yes. So what what would happen pressure cooking? Would it like kind of mush it up into like a pate? And like, what what does it do? I have no idea, but she said, oh, it was just wonderful. We in a pressure cooker. Neither. And this was already cooked meat. So I, I... can't tell you exactly, but she <laughs> loved it. So, um, you know, at that point, she actually, what she said was, I hope you don't care, but we decided. <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. Well, it's so funny. I, so I just had, I mean, I've had tongue before, I'm sure in the past, but I, I didn't know that I was eating tongue, I guess. I've never specifically ordered at a restaurant and I don't remember mom ever like making it. it. I feel like we did in Stratford, Megan. Did we? I feel, I, cause well, Eric and I talked about that and we okay. felt like we had both had it in Stratford. Well, maybe. So I this was the first time I really remember this was like a thing. And I had tongue beef tongue tacos um, recently. Mm-hmm. And part of it was just so out there. Like it's, you know, it's this tortilla just stuffed with these slices of tongue. 
And it was so tender and it was so awesome. But all I could keep thinking was I'm eating tongue with my tongue. I'm eating tongue with my tongue and something about it. Yeah. There wasn't something something about it was just so wrong. It was like I was making out with this cow's tongue or something. It was just really, I just couldn't get over it. It was fine. I mean, I ate two tacos and they tasted good, but I couldn't think about it at all. And then after when I thought about it, I was just a little skeeved. Um, I think if it had been pureed or something, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Well, we talked about the same thing. I mean, and really when Eric was cutting the tongue, he was cutting off everything that made it look too real. Tonguey. <laughs> Tonguey. I mean, yeah. we, we no, almost nobody at our party ate it. I will tell you that. Eric and I did eat it. Um, but all, people were like, oh, it's tongue. And, you know, three people would yeah. s- share like a one inch square slice because nobody wanted to commit to it. Yeah. Well, um, so it was yes, just- I think it's one of those things like I can eat any kind of animal. I don't my organ meats don't bother me. I've had lots of different things in, in you know, mm-hmm. ground up and in different forms. But the tongue was just too, just too tonguey. It was just too tonguey. <laughs> too tonguey. Too hey, tonguey. I just thought about something else that was in Harriet the Spy, which I had never had before and and wanted. And then is the egg, help me here, the the drink, the um, the egg cream, egg cream. A chocolate egg cream. Yeah, but that always kind of grossed me out because I'll, when I thought about it, it seemed to me like it would have a big yolk floating in it, which I'm sure it's not. No, I don't. Yeah, like I don't, a custard. I don't actually. I still don't even know what it is, to tell you the truth. Was, but it I, that, was it that book where she also, either she drank or someone else bought a phosphate? Hmm. I don't know, but that does sound familiar to me. And speaking of the same thing, those same, yeah. you know, kinds of, of um, New York City scenes. Uh-huh. I can't remember what book it was, but there was a scene that centered around the automat. And I want to say maybe it was like a cricket in Times Square. Did you ever read that one? No. No. The automat. And I remember thinking how awesome it would be to go to an automat. Man, when you grow up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and you read a book about New York City, and it feels like a disproportionate number of books that I read as a kid were either set in like Prairie West yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, in the olden days or in New York City, um, it just sounded like alien planet. It did. Well, and you know, it's funny because I was, of course, in the UP too, and I got into Harriet the Spy and I could not um, really fathom until I went to New York, really what it meant to have a brownstone in New York at the, you know, East End or, I mean, those things, it it didn't mean much to me even until I, I could put that kind of wonder in context. Yeah. As an adult, I still reread Harriet the Spy from time to time. And now I am always shocked at really what to the DeSantis store, you know, yeah. spying in the windows and, and what that cityscape must have been like. Right. So and just to have your run of it as a kid. That's just. Yes. Oh, to crazy. have your run of it. Yes. And it's funny. It also shows you you know, how much children will read something, have absolutely no context, and then just kind of create. Yes. A reality in their heads. I yes. mean, I had seen, yes. obviously, I'd seen scenes from New York on Sesame yes. Street or the Cosby yes. Show or yeah. whatever. And so I had kind of an idea of what it was about, right? But I, but the way I would even imagine the scenes where she's, you know, looking in people's windows, it was all sort yes. of through my point of view as a kid growing up yes. in a small town. Yes, yes. And it was just very different from what reality would have been. So it's just yes. really funny how that, yes. how that's that ex- is. And that's exactly my point too, is it, yeah. is it, I just couldn't. And in fact, when I had my own little spy route, you know, it was in neighbors that were, you know, evenly spaced houses right. on large small town lots. Not easy and- to spy in those no. places, <laughs> turns out. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> 
not easy. So, so speaking of kind of using your imagination then to, I mean, I think another one we were going to talk about is Harry Potter. Now I have to admit, I have to admit that I have not really gotten into the Harry Potter series. I've read all, I've seen the movies and I've read the first couple books, but I just didn't devour them the way I know you and John and my husband have. Um, but the food scenes definitely stick out. Oh, absolutely. The, the, um, whenever they get to Hogwarts, like they're opening, they're opening banquet yeah. Is obviously amazing. The you know the and town it's magical in a way, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Oh, like, yep, oh yep. yeah. Like the chocolates are turning into toads and hopping away, and or maybe they're turning back into chocolates. I don't remember. <laughs> yes, but it's it's always um, good and and amazing and huge, and they eat until they're stuffed, and you know, and that's another thing. The books that are the most satisfying are the ones that describe that super satiated full to capacity feeling gluttony yes almost and and that is definitely um you know you get that in the little in the farmer boy you get that in harry potter that sort of stuff i i wanted to bring up my one of my personal favorite um also scenes of of being um just gluttonous and then loss, which is Gone with the Wind, which really isn't a kid's book, but I did read it for the first time when I was a teenager. It counts. Go ahead. Well, and, and I will just say that, you know, the book describes food in a very sort of similar way. I mean, they they had the, the Scarlett O'Hara's family, of course, had food beyond measure. And sh- the descriptions at the beginning are such a contrast to the poverty then that she and her family and and even to the point where they'll talk about like the food in the in the slave cabins which of course was the entrails and the you know and and watermelons I mean it was not the food that that the um O'Hara's had or any of the other families but this emphasis on um just the amount of it and practically choking on the food that they um later you know, can't access. And there's one scene where Scarlett O'Hara is, you know, in a a neighbor's garden scrubbing off. She finds a radish and, you know, she scrubs it. And the description of that radish, you know, is so vivid. Um, and she desires it so much. I mean, it's just really incredible the way that book uses food to sort of just, illustrate the the whole sense of plenty and want and all of that so um it's it's a beautiful book for that for that reason and in fact in one of the opening scenes when uh scarlet is getting ready to go to a barbecue um just there's an argument going on in the household because they want her to eat a full breakfast before they corset her so that she can't eat when she gets to the barbecue and uh, because ladies don't eat, you know, a lot of food at the barbecue. And she's bemoaning the fact that, you know, she's having to stuff her face with, you know, pancakes and gravy and sausage and biscuits <laughs> and all of this because of all the wonderful food that is also at the barbecue that she won't be able to eat. She'll be knotted up too tight to swallow. So, you know, um, it's it's interesting. I haven't watched the movie. I mean, I read the book when I was a teenager, and I probably watched the movie the last time 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. I feel like the movie misses a lot of that stuff. And I know it's long. The movie is long. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. But the book is really Longer. long. And yeah. so you couldn't possibly. But I, I feel like that sort of the real contrast between when she has plenty and when they're destitute 
just you just can't get it in the same way. Maybe no. there's just too much else going on in the movie they had to kind of get to. Well, and I think in the movie the focus is really the love story. Yeah, yeah, you're you right. You know, and and it's not the the rest of it as much. So a lot is left out, and that is just one of them. I mean, and and so the food in that book is just can't you, you just can't compare it. It's it's a fab, fabulous book. It's I'll my have favorite. To read it again. It's your favorite, yeah. isn't it? So it, okay, it, it so is. this brings up another thing that does have to do with children's literature, and and is a theme now that's kind of emerging. Um, is this idea of making do or this idea of like sur- like a survivalist kind of – so you've got on the one side, you've got the glutton times and you've got the being provided mm-hmm. for by your parents when times are good. and But then you've got other books and I know we're going to talk about A Tree Grows in Brooklyn in a minute, but another one that sticks out from my head is The Boxcar Children. I don't know if you ever read that one, Kathleen. I read, I read the, that one and you maybe only one. once or twice. Yeah, I just okay. never got into them. I Well, I think I read it at just the perfect time. In my life, you know, I was probably just the right age. And it was this total, total, like, runaway fantasy because I think that their parents are dead. I don't even remember. It's been a long time. But so these four children, who I think the oldest is like 11 or 12, and the youngest is maybe five, are making it on their own, living in a boxcar. And one of the, in an abandoned boxcar, and one of the scenes that stuck out for me was how they made, and I can't even remember now what it was that they made a meal out of, you know, if it was cherries or something and mm. sat down and ha- and made this meal out of it. And I think that they, you know, found a tin cup or something and that had, you know, they, they got some milk somehow. And it just, so it's one of these stories of like these four kids on their own making do, making do. And I think that that's also for kids, such an appealing narrative. Um, definitely one oh, that, yeah. that I was drawn to again and again. And so a tree grows in Brooklyn is also not a children's book, but you and I both read it. I think I read it for the first yes. time at eleven. So yes, uh, and yes, read it over and over and over and over. Yes, um, and the scenes of Francie's mom making this kind of gross food. <laughs> Actually, if it's the is it the um, that yummy stale bread? See, I always thought that sounded disgusting. Oh, so they would, I think it. She would mush fantastic. like she would cook down stale bread and make mm-hmm. a paste out of it. Yep. And then chip in whatever cheap meat they could get. But the scene when so Francie's mom, uh, Katie, would would hand Francie like a nickel and tell her to go to one place and get the end of the tongue or whatever, yeah. you know. Yep. And yep. then go to the store, go to the bakery and get the day old bread, but not to go to the one bakery where they she couldn't get it. She had to go to the <laughs> yes. other bakery. Um and make sure you went to the to the butcher who would give you the bone for soup and all this. It was fascinating to me. Yes. And this and she would add just like an onion to it and it somehow would turn into this wonderful fried well loaf. i i actually have the description right oh please here. please read it You're, you can do a much better job <laughs> she'd take a loaf of stale bread pour pour boiling water over it work it up into a paste <laughs> flavor it with salt pepper thyme minced onion and an egg if eggs were cheap and bake it in the oven when it was good and brown she made a sauce from half a cup of ketchup Two cups boiling water, seasoning, a dash of strong coffee, thickened it with flour, and poured it over the baked stuff. It was good, hot, tasty, and staying. There's another one of those words, staying. What was left over was sliced thin the next day and fried in hot bacon fat. I mean... Yeah. It's like meatloaf, basically. It is. It is like meatloaf, except that now that I'm looking at it... (laughs) I was just going to say, I don't see any meat there, right, but, yeah. but otherwise, yes. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that it, it actually sounds kind of um, good to me. And I think to go back, it's, it's the idea of, 
making do. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was super, super poor, God knows. I mean, I made do with buying cereal and eating cereal for dinner. Like the idea of creating a concoction. I know yeah. it's not analogous. I mean, that was the 2000s for crying out loud. But but I could not never have pulled this off. Well, you wouldn't and even know where to begin. I wouldn't even know where to begin. I, I wouldn't know where to begin. I need to have this sort of thing handed to me. And so to read this and to think that someone is industrious enough and resourceful um, and would even resourceful have this, enough and would yes. even know where to begin. And it's funny because Catherine and I both grew up and we, our mom didn't have a lot of money when we were little. And I remember eating a lot of, you know, mom made a lot of cheap meals. We always sat down at night and ate, but it was, you yes. know, there was the, the figuring out ways to stretch things. But by then this was, you know, the eighties, um, stretching and, and eating inexpensively meant getting, you know, like potato buds <laughs> yeah. or, you know, yeah. Or whatever the generic version of potato buds. Mom yes. didn't even really buy a lot of generics. Didn't, there wasn't, there no. weren't really a lot of generics then. No. I mean, and they were no. literally generic, like a white box with right. black white letters. Yes. And yeah. I feel like You're- mom just never went, she wouldn't go there. <laughs> so we yes. ate things like potato buds and um, whatever the meat was the cheapest. Um, but I remember the one time mom tried to make something. She tried to kind of pull off a Katie Nolan, I think. And she <laughs> made like this scrambled it was called egg bake and the the recipe was actually on the um egg carton and it was you know this budget food you were i don't you you were already older you were a teenager or possibly off living your grown-up life somewhere (laughs) and she and it was like egg and then it had some kind of mush like i think it was over english muffin and then there was um cream of mushroom soup on top and i was Hmm. like you can hear me gagging while I was eating it. It was so just all the different textures and flavors I was not fond of. Yeah. And so I had it all. Yeah. I wasn't grateful at all. Well, you know, and, and (laughs) well, that's all right. I mean, none of us were, and and I would, times were different. I mean, that was when people still ate like asparagus out of the can. Yes. And mom would try to, I could never, I don't know, maybe they still make asparagus in a can. They probably do. But the idea of eating it, I couldn't eat asparagus until four years ago, I think, when somebody roasted it and I realized how Good it delicious is. it is. Yeah, yeah um, and all, all of our vegetables were so overcooked. Yes. And all of our meat was overcooked. Yes. We were gagging down pork um, pork chops because in those days, and pork roast, um, in those days you were told to cook yeah. it much yep. hotter yeah. than yes. now. And yes. I think we were supposed to get to like 165 degrees or something ridiculous. <laughs> and so it was just, it was like, it was like eating a sponge. It was just this dried yeah. out. Yeah. You know. We always had it with applesauce though. I do recall. I do so that, that kind of like added that, that, that when, moisture to it. If you put a lot of salt on it, it was okay. But yeah. I mean, everyone and, was making do with the guidelines and what was available at the time. Well, that's right. That's that's exactly right, and you know, so we did the the white bread and the whole the whole nine yards. We had truly the ultimate seventies diet. Yeah. I mean, we we did, and and mom, the irony is sort of looking back on it is how hard she worked to achieve that. I mean, that was you know after she died, and I found so many of her like recipe files and things. I mean, she put a lot of work into and and effort into making like the Campbell's soup, yeah. you know, yeah. meals. No, and, and that's what, I don't want to say that's what people ate, but I, I think that that was what was very popular. That was what she was cutting out of good housekeeping. Right. You know, yeah. ev- everything had Bisquick in it or Jiffy Mix, yep. Yep. lots yep. of yep. pies and that casseroles. Was home and yeah. 
And it's funny because yeah. it didn't really save that much time. But I think it what it did um, do was made everyone less reliant on fresh ingredients. And yes. that was, I mean, we grew up someplace with a very short growing season. And yep. I bet if we went back into the grocery store that we used to shop in, I can't really remember the way the red owl was laid yeah, out or anything. Yeah, I was going to say the red owl, yeah. I bet you that produce section was like eight by eight. I mean, I can't remember now. It's been oh. so long. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Probably apples, I... celery. Onions and well, potatoes. I was going to say, I don't remember eating. We always, I always remember having bananas and apples, but I don't, even grapes, I don't remember eating very much of. So we, when we did get them, it was a treat. Yeah. I recall. So yeah, yeah we, we were reliant on stuff that we could have imported in from elsewhere and it wasn't as fast and easy then. And just didn't, you know, it just didn't, you didn't have these grocery yeah. stores in a small town with these huge no. selections of different um, kind of exotic and even non-exotic right. options. You just didn't have them. So. Right. Yeah. So anyway. it was very different, different way of eating for it sure. It was a different way of eating. And, and it would be interesting now to go and read. Um, we've been talking more about books that are a little older, but it would be interesting to go and read some books that were, you know, children's books yeah. set in the seventies and eighties and see what they talk about as far as food goes. You know, it's funny because I do read some like young adult literature and things now, but they're all so dystopian that, you know, they probably are eating out of a pill. <laughs> like, yeah. Or or they're rummaging or, around for Yeah, or like know, Hunger roots. Games. They're, yeah. you know, hunting it off of <laughs> Hunger Games. Did you read those? Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of good food descriptions in there those. There are, books yeah. Though there's a lot going on in there from the, you know, the poor food that they have and the sort of bounty that they eat on the train. And yep. you know, so that's another one that uh why isn't that interesting? What were we going to talk interesting. Didn't we have another one we were going to talk about? What another we book yes. we were going to talk. Well, I did. What I was going to ask you is Trixie Belden. Of course, yes. we are both big, huge Trixie Belden fans. We need to take a moment to, for anyone listening who has no idea who Trixie Belden is, <laughs> yes. I feel that she's the much cooler version of Nancy Drew. Absolutely. Without she, question. It was more, she was more like a 50s, 60s. I want to say, think. Um, yeah, I think they were pretty much contemporary, but yeah, I mean, maybe there were so many. Again, I think it spanned it can, a long it period a of time. But I kind of feel like the very first one I read was set. I mean, it, and also it was kind of hard to tell because they don't make a lot of um, references to any kind of pop culture. No, no they don't. Some of the clothes, the way they describe it, and they called jeans dungarees. Yeah. Um. So it's this country girl, just you know, and I love how they talk about how poor their family is all the time when you can tell they're her, yes. her dad's a banker and they're. They're doing okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And her mom cans. They have big gardens yes. and the mom does This is why I was kind of getting this 50s feel from it. Um, yes. But they live next to this very rich family. And anyway, so yeah, Trixie Belden's this mystery series about this very, um, very, what's the word I'm looking at? Wholesome. Oh, Wholesome yes. group of kids. Yes. Teenagers who all hang out together and solve mysteries and they don't go on dates. It's not like that. It's not that kind of book, no. you know? <laughs> no, um, they don't. But there's a lot of talk about their garden and the canning and, and moms, they call her moms, moms. always making yeah. pies. Yes. Yes. And they talk, you know, they're, it, running home for lunch is always an event. Things yes. like that. Like, you know, I have to go home and have lunch. And is it okay if I stay over for dinner? Yeah. I mean, those kinds of conversations I never have with my kids. Like, huh. you know. I guess because dinner just happens wherever <laughs> it happens, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It still kind of does here, but my kids are, I have more younger kids, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's it. I mean, there is a dinner time, right. but, but like to, you know, run home from somewhere to have lunch at your house. Right. No, that doesn't happen. It, you you know, eat where you're at. Yeah. You Most eat of the time. where you're at or you eat when you get home right. or whatever. But yeah. 
But and, that was, it's a big feature in Trixie Belden books. And I do remember, too, there's some talk about how Bobby, who is the little <laughs> brother who we think there's something wrong with him because he's like six and can't say any words right. Um, he he likes a sandwich that they call the cran, the Crab Apple Farm Special. And this is all just oh, all of a sudden popped into my head. And they're like thick slices of bread with butter, peanut butter, and something else. Bananas maybe or something. I don't oh. know. Maybe maybe just butter and peanut butter. And I remember reading that. It's essentially it's a peanut butter and butter sandwich. But I remember reading that as a kid and thinking, oh man, those it crab apple farm so specials good. sound so good. I want one of those. And oh, I probably he- went right to the kitchen and made one with Jif. And peanut butter and butter. <laughs> yeah. You know, now I will always make when I make a peanut butter sandwich, I don't put butter on it, but I will always make when I make peanut butter toast, I have to have butter on it. Me too. Butter first, then not you know. always, but I much prefer it that way. Oh, me too. Me too. And I will also say that I have rediscovered a love for um, which mom used to give us all the time, graham crackers and butter. You know, and I've I, been kind of a lot of that recently. Well, it's so funny because as we're talking about children's books. I've been thinking about the things that I would eat when I was reading children's books with these mm-hmm. amazing scenes and really wanting to eat what was in them. Yeah. But didn't have, you know, whatever it was. And yeah. so then I would – and graham crackers and butter was one of the things that I would go down to the kitchen. Yeah. Often late at night. I stayed up way too late reading under the covers. <laughs> and then I would just kind of sneak back down and get myself a snack of graham crackers and butter. And it's good. Yeah. I don't it's... think it's good if you get the kind that's got all the crusty sugar on top. I don't like those. No, no, I don't like those kind anyways. But I um but we've been eating them and I have rediscovered how good they are with the glass of milk. Yep. It's the best. And we were never really allowed to snack a whole lot. That's why I did it late at night. Yeah, well, and I couldn't really, um, <laughs> because the way our house was set up when, you know, you were a baby and I was older, but I I would not have been able to really get away with that. Um, but you know, I wanted to. We just didn't also Catherine's the oldest and I'm the youngest. So there's let's just face it, yeah. there's a lot of stuff I got away with. <laughs> Everybody was kind of tuned out by the time I came around. But yes, that is and, true. Um, saltines with peanut butter on them was another thing yes. that I ate a lot of. Yes, as sort yes. of my you know consolation prize snack. <laughs> saltines it, with peanut butter. Yeah, I would love to, to give that to my kids now. They would laugh and laugh. I used to also would, take those that squishy white bread that we used to eat, and I would tear the middle out and squish it into balls, and then roll it in butter. And then I was, roll it yes. in cinnamon sugar. Yes. I was just going to mention that like 10 minutes ago. I will also say on the cinnamon sugar tip, one of the things I remember on the very few times, again, this is something that I would know more about than you, but you know, mom and dad didn't go out a whole lot. It was a couple of very big banking parties or whatever during the year where they would uh, go out. And I knew it was going to be a party night and I knew it was going to be a cinnamon toast morning when... <laughs> They bought Verner's because we also didn't have a lot of pop in the house, but Verner's, I guess, was the hangover pop. <laughs> so when the, the Verner's came, I knew that they were going to a party where they would be drinking and they would be sleeping in. So that is hilarious. It is. And I worked it out, Buck and I both did, Buck, our brother, where we would get and we would make our own cinnamon mix and make and eat tons of cinnamon toast because it was the only time we could ever get away with it. Mom would never let us have it. That's so under funny. any other circumstance, but and, they were in bed. So yeah, no, I got I I got to make whatever I wanted for breakfast. <laughs> it's a very, you know, it's anybody's first kid versus their oh, absolutely fourth. You know, yes, it's just a yes. different it's a different story. So, but this has been really fun. We're you know this is a new thing for us. We're going to be trying to do this about once a month, coming on talking about anything having. I mean, obviously we are kind of all over the place, but in a fun way. I hope. Um, 
books, TV, music, who knows what we'll do Maybe next. we could do our plays. Oh, that would be fun too. Yeah. Since you're in them and I'd watch them. Yeah, we could talk about that next. Oh, we could talk about that when we go to Stratford. We're going to the Stratford yeah. um, Shakespeare Festival this summer. So that would be a great, yeah. be a great topic of conversation. Good All idea. right, well, we will do that. Okay, guys. So we'll. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Home Hour. Catherine will be back at a, some point in a future episode. Thanks, Catherine, for hey. coming on. It was thank you. Of- thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Home Hour on the Life Listened Network. If you want to hear more episodes of The Home Hour, go ahead and go to thehomehour.com and you'll find all the episodes there. You can also visit our Lifestyle Podcast Network to find more shows about motherhood, style, work, and more. That's at lifelistened.com. Thanks a lot.